Modern Pleasure Podcast is sponsored by Adam and Eve. Lean in to your sexual curiosities. Are you ready? Because it's about to get real. Modern Pleasure answers the questions about sex that you've always wanted to ask, but didn't. It's hard for the human to wrap their heads around, this is my new normal. And when it comes to sexuality, oftentimes our body image and our sense of self is completely turned on its head. The grief process and the feeling betrayed by your body, why did this happen to me? Why do these things exist? Once there is more acceptance, finding a really satisfying, safe, and pleasurable new sexual script is really the goal. Welcome back to Modern Pleasure. I'm Kim K. Hi, Dr. Jenny. Hi, Tim. So um, I'm moving slow today. Hubby and I uh, had a date night last night, and we went to a concert. Yes, a very late night concert. We saw The Who. And by the way, they Roger Daltrey <laughs> has not lost it. Oh, my gosh. So good. Good. That's so fun. It was really fun. But, you know, I think we're both trying to relive our youth, which just makes me feel older. <laughs> so, and it was date night, right? So, of course, by the time we got home, we were both exhausted, or at least I was. Gosh. Um, but we did. I have to say that we did get our little non-discreet package from Adam and Eve, though. Um, although we didn't use anything yet because we were so exhausted. But uh, maybe we'll get a redo tonight. He's taking me out for dinner, so we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully I won't. You know, here's it? my secret: date night. Have sex before you go on the date. <laughs> well, I'm connected. It's not like something you're like weighing. You know, during dinner, if I eat this big steak, am I going to be too full? If I eat the cabbage, am I going to be too bloated? Right? You just kind of—it's like we feel connected. We feel awesome. We have an empty belly, and now we go out. Well, and, and, you know, that is very good advice, but when you're working until, you know, five and you have to leave at five fifteen to make the, you know, <laughs> show or yeah. whatever, there is no time to do that. Yeah. And that's typically what happens on a weeknight for us. Right. So we probably need to schedule these things on the weekends. Um, but that's, that's really good advice. So that way you don't feel. Yeah, because you go out to dinner, right? And you're so full, you're like, ugh, this is not going to work well. Yeah. <laughs> who wants to, you know, who wants to use all those fun things that we got from Adam and Eve when you both feel bloated and full? You can't mm-hmm. hardly move. Um, but I have to say, as a customer of Adam and Eve, when we got our really discreet package, um, loved all the little fun stuff that they added in there. I was really surprised. It was like, whoa, okay, this could be fun, you know. So um, it, it just, it it all came with the, well, of course, George was the one that ordered this. So it came with what he ordered. And um, it, it was really fun. We opened up the package together and we're like, ooh, what's this? And <laughs> Never used one of those before, but okay, you know, it was so fun. It was like two kids on Christmas. Oh, that's great. (laughs) It was fun. 
So um, it was. We just we just enjoyed the whole process and the surprises. And just for our modern pleasure listeners, you could get on、uh, all that fun too. Just have, head over to adamandeve dot com. Use code modern, and you can get fifty percent off almost any one item, plus some fun free stuff and free shipping. And、uh, there were quite a few surprises in that package. I was really surprised. And、uh, I've had some friends jump in on this deal as well, and they've gotten they've had the same response, like "Whoa, this is so cool!" You know, and they really、mm-hmm. loved all the free stuff that came with their purchase too. So jump on this deal, get fifty percent off almost any one item when you use code Modern at checkout and get some fun surprises as well. Ten free fun surprises, you'll love it. Um, to- I heard a red pillow too, Kim. After all your friends were like the red pillow, the red pillow that Savannah.、Uh, yes, yes, yes.、Uh, well, maybe I should order a red pillow. <laughs> I know. I wonder. I'd like to know how many of those they sold in the last couple of weeks. That's that's next on our list for sure.、Mm-hmm. He he went a little he went a little farther. <laughs> It was in that same episode, so I'll just you know I'll let your imagination go there with what he ordered. But oh my gosh, we haven't had the opportunity to use it yet. But hopefully, you know that'll happen either tonight or sometime this weekend. But I'll I'll, I'll give my report. I'll give my honest review.、Mm-hmm. Um, so today we're diving into a discussion of、uh, about creating that new normal. When it comes to sex、uh, and relationships, when suffering from chronic illness such as HIV, cancers, other health issues, which you know obviously is a very important topic, and we want to cover it, and we're going to bring in、uh, Shelley Stenson, who is the director of Project Empowerment at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland.、Um, Project Empowerment is an HIV prevention program for Black cisgender and transgender women. It's designed to improve their emotional wellness, and so we're going to bring her into this convo shortly.、Um, I, I kind of just wanted to have you give sort of an introduction on, you know, why why is this discussion important, Dr. Skyler? Wow, it's super important.、Um... I think all chronic illness is a just a huge challenge to our humanity. You know what the human being often feels when they face an illness or a diagnosis is some oftentimes shock, and then they might move into or often will move into feeling like their body betrayed them. Sometimes there's an experience of shame, like I created this for myself,、um, and all those emotions are normal. So part of the process is acceptance of,、mm. of where you're at,、um, grieving where you used to be, especially if that's not the body and the health status you can you get to inhabit any longer. Like so, some things that are chronic or lifelong,、um, such as HIV, which By the way, you know it used to be a death sentence back in the '80s, even '90s. So it's I, I'm delighted that it is actually a chronic illness to navigate versus the death sentence it used to be.、Um, but whatever the diagnosis is or the illness, you know it's hard for the human to wrap their heads around this is my new normal. And when it comes to sexuality, it's a whole new world. 
So oftentimes our body image and our sense of self is completely turned on its head. And sometimes parts don't work, right? So sometimes with cancer, you know, prostate cancer, for instance, is a really common one where um, prostate cancer may mean chemo and radiation. It may mean um, particular surgeries that render the man without an ability to get an erection um, at all, or certainly the way he used to. And that's a huge blow to men when they're trying to navigate sex and <laughs> their masculinity. Yeah. So, you know, again, the grief process and the feeling betrayed by your body and feeling sort of betrayed by like the humanity of why did why did this happen to me? Why do these things exist to to, to challenge our mortality? Um, is it is part of that you know existential piece around really exploring the emotional piece of this and then. Once there is more acceptance, there is an ability to go, okay, I can create a whole new script around my sensual self and my sex life with a partner. And what does that look like? What protections do I need to take? Um, what is available to me? What's not available? Sometimes penetration is no longer available. Some people never had penetration, so that's not a thing. Um, sometimes with like mastectomies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, if a person doesn't want to rebuild um, or do reconstruction, you know, that's a whole new terrain. Um, no matter the illness, oftentimes just our nerve endings in our body get recalibrated and have a different type of sensory experience. Oh, yeah. So that can temperature, that can relate to pleasure, that can relate to a lot of things that just change. And so mapping your body again is an important part of the process. Mapping your body with a partner is an important part of the process. And finding a really satisfying, safe, and pleasurable new sexual script is really the goal. But you can't, I I find that some people want to jump to that a little prematurely without grieving the old script and grieving the old way they used to be in the world. So there's that too. So when you say that they're jumping in a little bit earlier, they are they kind of stuffing some feelings down because they want that normalcy so bad that they're not really taking care of the issues that are going to create these problems later, right? They're going to just keep kind of surface. Yeah. Yeah. I, we don't I, do grief well in this country. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe some subcultures in this country do better with grief, but generally Americans do not do grief well. Um, we don't just allow ourselves to wail in community. We don't allow ourselves to wail. You know, we don't really give ourselves the full permission to just grieve. And and it doesn't have to be death that we're grieving. It could be like, gosh, the old way I used to live in the world is no longer accessible to me. And that's a big grief process. And I think that when humans don't let themselves fully grieve, and it doesn't mean there is an end point to grief, by the way. It's sort of a continual process through our humanity that may arise in waves. But if we don't allow ourselves to grieve, then it is stuck in our body. So as we create a new normal, we're sort of trying to overlay that trauma with a new script. And it doesn't get really lodged in too well until we make space for it. So uh, I know that um, I've uh, my mom um, uh, is a breast cancer survivor, and I also have a cousin who who went through the mastectomy, uh, had breast cancer, and and a few friends that have done the same thing. And I know that there is that void, right, of of self image, um, and I I always wondered, you know. I, probably should just ask, but I always wondered how 
that worked its way back into the the sexual part of the re- relationship where i found just by observing the relationship that the intimacy level actually grew with their partner because there was some empathy that sort of came from the other side and and i'm going to speak especially for women and men in, in a heterosexual relationship married relationship committed relationship that i've observed where it wasn't just about the sex anymore. There was a lot more empathy towards what they were going through, um, which I thought was interesting. You know, so it, the relationship grew in that way a little bit more than it did in a sexual way that you would normally, you know, experience before any of this happened. Um, so I wonder how obviously it is going to have an effect on the couple but do you find that that relationship changes in a way that has actually improved their connection? If they're willing to do the work, absolutely. Absolutely. And that I think that's true of any couple going through any challenge. If the challenge doesn't break you yeah. or break you up, um, it, it makes marriage 2.0, right? Esther Perel has a fun quote where she says, um, you know, we usually get married two, three times in a lifespan, sometimes to the same person, sometimes not. And that is a great quote because it can be the same person, but it's a whole different marriage when you have to recreate the scripts that you work by, by the new narratives, by the new ways of just interacting with each other. And certainly if both people have gone through a challenging experience, like a chronic illness of any kind, they can have way more empathy for each other. But the hard part is if one person doesn't, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. I've had, let's go back to prostate cancer. Um, sometimes the wives are the ones really struggling with like, where's my erect penis? I really want this. I really need this. Interesting. And you um, would think that they would be more of the empathetic nurturer of the relationship. Um, it can go either way, but you know, I think that, I think that our sexuality and certainly our genitals, um, can be the projection of some of our anger. Why did this happen to my husband? Why is this happening to our marriage? It gets projected into where's my, where's my erection, right? I don't think they care, you know, like it get, there can be a little bit of a projection of anger there. So, um, I think this would also lend itself to the discussion of, Um, single women or men who are going through this kind of chronic health issue and what that does to their, uh, you know, overall uh, sexual relationships. Um, I had a friend who um, had hepatitis C. She got it from a blood transfusion from a surgery years and years and years ago. And she would get into, you know, she would meet somebody and it'd be really great. And then when the conversation came up about, look, you know, I need to disclose this because I have this disease, um, they would just run in the other direction because they didn't want to take not only the chance of it spreading to them, but um, just it was just this stigma of a taboo that they didn't want anything to do with. And she struggled with that for years. Um, she actually is cured, which is great. She, she yeah, got a treatment. treat, a new treatment. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, her life is 
dramatically changed in that area, but struggled for, gosh, a good 20 or 30 years with it. And um, so I think that there's that. I I just can't even imagine because I know how hard that would be. But what how do you get I know that you talked about that um, script, you know, kind of writing that new script for yourself. But is that process a really long one? I mean, how do you get past that feeling of. I'm not worthy or I'm not, you know, nobody wants to be with me because I'm damaged now, you know, in this sense, in this health sense, which you also have to take care of on a personal level, just mentally knowing that you're dealing with this that doesn't have anything to do with relationships or sex. It has everything to do with survival, right? So that's quite a lot of balls that you're juggling. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up singlehood, which is it is tricky, um, especially with sexual status, whether it's HIV, you know, but it, it could also be um, hep C, it, you know, it could be, there could be other things happening. And um, gosh, you know, I think about this client I used to have, um, he was a gay gentleman and he got HIV really early in the eighties and luckily had great treatments and, and is still doing great. Um but dating has always been such a challenge for him because the conversation we have is, do you leave? What is your identity in the world? Like, what is your geographic location, right? Do you start with gay? Do you start with man? Do you start with HIV? Do you start with your race? Do you start with your age? Like all of these pieces. And that's for the individual to decide who they are in the world and what's most important. But telling a potential partner you have HIV, for instance, is definitely a challenge. And one of the things I said to him, I said, I don't think you need to lead with that. You don't want to hide it and and withhold it. But it's not, you're not like, my name is so-and-so and and here's who I am in the world because you're more complex than that. But the struggle comes, when do you disclose? You want to disclose early enough so people can decide and you're not hiding this piece. And yet you don't want to just wear a scarlet letter on your chest. And um, so that's a really tricky conundrum for the single person who is recovering from a chronic illness or, or just in it um, or a cancer or whatever, you know, our, our human challenge is. How do you, how do you, how and when do you name it is sort of that million dollar question. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of compassion for dating out there. It's hard enough, I think, with oh, apps and social media and the whole mishpaha of. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> of, uh, yeah, it's hard. Um and then you add in these other layers of complexity and it can be more difficult. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, as, as if you're willing to do your own work, right, and you're willing to like get into those painful, vulnerable places and do that work, then there's more self-acceptance. And once that happens, that's a contagious energy, Yeah. right? If I accept all of who I am and I walk in the world and someone doesn't want to accept me, well, I'm not going to waste my time with them. Um, but if I accept myself then usually there is a contagious um, effect. And otherwise, I'll surround myself with people who will accept me. And I would imagine that would work with couples, too. When it comes right down to it, it is a personal journey. And so, you know, the person that is afflicted with this issue is the one that has to actually deal with it on a a whole different level. This might be a good time to bring Shelly 
Shelly and Shelly Stenson, welcome to Modern Pleasure. Hi, so good to see you. Hi, it goes so good to be seen. <laughs> Shelly and I have worked together before. Um, I actually produce another podcast for her for Project Empowerment called Dynamic Determined Divas. And Shelly is quite the dynamic determined diva. And uh, I know that you've been listening to our conversation and have a lot of experience, especially in this topic with uh, mm-hmm. chronic illness, HIV specifically. Um, can you just give us a little background on on who you are, what you do, and, and why you're in this uh, area of expertise? Oh, certainly. Uh, so, you know, the, I always start with the question that a lot of children are asked. And it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't have an answer to that question, but I always knew that I wanted to help people and that looked like me and my community, the black community. I just didn't know what, what that was about. And I didn't want to be a nurse. I didn't want to be a doctor. And I, and this may sound weird, but I first landed on being, I, um, conducting autopsies, being a coroner, right? To answer. You did? I did. Oh my gosh. I, I didn't know that. Watch autopsy videos and. Um, I enjoy dissecting the uh, frogs in biology class and things of that nature. <laughs> and then I, I discovered that I don't do too well with bad smells. So that was, <laughs> I took that off the table. <laughs> and then I was, um, when I was an undergrad, I, uh, it was uh, late eight, 80s, 88 when I started and then I was hanging out with, and I had done so before a little bit, but I was hanging out with my gay friends, gay community, um, because they had all the tea, you know, on everybody. So, and then, you know, the parties and the clubs were everything. My first AIDS related death was a young man that was 20, he was 20 at the time. At what time frame was yeah. this? What year are you talking the, about? 80, 88, 1988, 89. Mm-hmm. And the news that was being um, placed upon us in our ears and our consciousness was that this was a gay white man's disease. So I was fully aware of it. And but I'm like, okay, well, he's not white. And then uh, the friend circles, like, but he only dated white men. So I was like, oh my goodness. Um, he got caught up and he didn't, he didn't survive, unfortunately. So I also witnessed a lot of, uh, they identified men or my friends who decided, well, I'm just going to start dating women to avoid an, an AIDS diagnosis. Wow. The mm-hmm. fear was just rampant. And so they, of course they tried it. It didn't work. And then I graduated and went straight into corporate work. And then I was bored and an opportunity came upon itself for me to volunteer in an agency that was specifically designed to address black men living with AIDS. Mm. And so I started volunteering there and it was the first black agency in Oakland uh, to serve this purpose and provide this support. Wow. So while I was working there, um, I was married at the time and this is when I discovered that women are just as much at risk as men who have sex with men, which is the category. And then it's like, oh, you have bisexual men, and you have 
are bisexual people. And then when I took my first AIDS test, as a result of my husband, like he loved to access prostitutes down by this wonderful barbecue place, not there anymore, Flint's Barbecue on San Pablo Avenue, which is a very big holster away. And I realized that, oh, wow, this is bigger than what they're saying it is. And then I was offered a position, a permanent position at that agency, and I quit my corporate job and I went into HIV care treatment and prevention work. And I've been doing that since 1995. So I found my positioning and I've learned so much. And I've been on both sides of the um, epidemic relative to care and treatment and prevention. And prevention is my passion. Because if I can get to you before you get to this or keep you from getting here, just one person, I've done the, I, I want to help Black people. So um, I, I pretty much eat, drink, and sleep HIV prevention. And I, I have lost a lot of people. I lost an uncle. So it's been heartbreaking work. Yeah. And the challenges that lead to the failure of prevention HIV and uh, other STIs. So I know we're focusing on HIV, but there's other STIs that, that are on the list. Failure is the uh, lack of knowledge or experience in teaching our young people mm-hmm. how to navigate sexual relationships. And so there's the, the fe- it's fear-based which I, I don't embrace. Because if you tell a kid not to touch something, they're going to touch it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Don't don't touch that penis or else you're going to end up in a terrible situation when, in fact, no, you're going to end up in a wonderful situation. However, you need the knowledge to know how to touch it. Yeah. There you go. So and so. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to ask you, um, and and knowing uh, that I've been a part of some of the conversations that you've had with your um, Dynamic Determined Divas podcast, when it comes to, um, and I know a lot of these women that are in your podcast do have HIV. Yeah, they're living with HIV or HIV is living with them. So power role, the, pro- the, po- the power roles, HIV lives with me. Oh. On my turn. That's a really interesting way to look at that. So how, where is it, where is your um, knowledge when it comes to these women and their relationships living with HIV or HIV mm-hmm. living with them? How, how do they navigate through not only their personal lives, but on a sexual basis? Some have partners that have the same status, HIV status. So they're both living with it. Right. And then there are those who are not, who are celibate. Because fear, because of it? Because, yeah, because of it. Just like Dr. Jenny was saying earlier, you know, that that shame and stigma and not knowing how a person they, they are interested in would receive the information. And so there's there's abandonment issues, rejection, 
issues. It's just not, um, it's just not a possibility for them hmm. to enter into a, a, an intimate relationship with someone else, even though they really, really want to. Um, there are women who were, who were infected by a spouse or boyfriend. And so it's trust issues there as well. Um, and then, you know, I have some women who are, are single and sexually active and it's not, it's a, it's not an issue. So it's, it's a, it's pretty much checking all the boxes of, in that category. So it's dependent on the, on the person's emotional wellness. And that's why the, the program is, is about emotional wellness to make healthy decisions. And I say, until you meet every person walking the planet and you say, I can't find a good partner. Um, you don't know. But step out, you know, just step out and live. And I, I hate that uh, HIV has sucked the life out of some beautiful women. Mm. Has, somehow they stop moving and stop being alive. They're just living. And those are the women that, that we, uh, that I, that are in our group. Um, and then I have women that are engaging in uh, sex industry work. And so disclosure is not um, an issue, but safety is very important to all of them, protecting themselves and protecting their their partner. So when you say sex industry. Sex trade, trading sex for food, trading sex for money, trading sex for shelter. Yeah. Wow. That's the industry work. And, mm-hmm. and that's a necessity just for their survival. Mm-hmm. For a lot of women's survival. A lot of women's survival, yeah. Yeah. And no shame in that. Mm-mm. It's the barter system. It's the barter system. And that Certainly. can be on a number of different levels, too, I would imagine. Married yeah. people do it, right? They get married. They're like, oh, you're wealthy. I'll financial security. Like, I'll trade. <laughs> I'll make sure you have dinner on the table and leftovers and whatever. And you give me shelter and a good life and financial security. I mean, I think we do it as women overtly, covertly, via marriage, not it's the oldest yeah. way to secure your well-being on the planet. Yeah, I can for the Who concert and 49ers game. I mean, for example, you call it date night. <laughs> <laughs> call it what you want to. Call it date hey, night. I don't know, Heidi, but it's still the same elements that exist. Just reverse that scenario. I'm the one with the goods. Okay. There it is. Right. I understand. I understand. At the end of the day, we end up where? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But then, but then you've got another problem, right? Because if they're not disclosing that they have HIV, isn't that what you said? Or do they? But there's protection. So the condoms. But it's a challenge when, let's say, we're doing um, a sex trade of money and sex. Some clients do not want to utilize protective tools. Mm. And so you had a conundrum there, but I need to eat today. And do I just walk past or give up this John or just take the chance? So it's all about prioritizing decisions, needs and needs. It's really a tough fork in the road 
for many women as well, because there's violence that exists in that on a on a horrendous level. Mm. And I believe because money is involved. Very interesting. I wasn't quite sure where this discussion was going to go today. Um, you know, you know, when we first started talking about it, Dr. Jenny and I were m- mostly referring to um, how you uh, navigate th- through, you know, your relationship based on the condition or health condition that you or your partner might have. And mm-hmm. and I can see where this is a much broader topic because it doesn't just affect two people in a relationship. It can affect a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Levels. Yeah. yeah. It's harm reduction. You know, I, I hear you, Shelly. I, mean, I was I asked about Morehouse because I did a postdoc there and I worked with some women um, in the streets. I, I was at a harm reduction center working with them, helping this um, sexual health pieces and working with women to just, you know, wherever they're meeting them where they're at in terms of just having that harm reduction conversation. And some right. women condoms are like, you know, a must. And some it's like, yeah. Yeah. yeah and in allergies um, to latex, mm-hmm. of course there's alternative. Um, yeah. We offered different kinds of condoms. Yeah. Different kinds. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a deep and broad issue. Him, it's an, it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Subjective. Yeah. And you just do the best that you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that's, you know, uh, that's the, the trick, right? Is trying to navigate through this and still feel like you're, you know, uh, uh, providing yourself with, all the necessary things that you need to thrive on a personal and a mental level. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to get back into this conversation. Want to remind our listeners that just for being a modern pleasure podcast listener, our sponsor Adam and Eve is going to give you quite the discount on almost any one item. Just use code word modern, get 50% off and 10 free fun gifts and free shipping. And these free gifts are fun. I've already gotten mine. And uh, I was actually very pleasantly surprised. And by the way, Adam and Eve have been in business for a long time, over 50 years. They have over 20 million customers worldwide. And they're just an amazing resource for all people, no matter where you are in your sexuality. So check them out, Modern Pleasure. Uh, podcast listener, use code MODERN at checkout at adamandeve.com and save some money and have a little fun. Right. I, I didn't get a box. I heard you talking about a box earlier. So. <laughs> her, husband, her husband ordered the box for her. <laughs> I think he ordered it for him, to be quite honest. That's true. <laughs> I'm going to order a box. I put down the code. And yep. So Use that code, Shelly. I'm very familiar with Adam and Eve. I purchased some items from them years ago doing my HIV prevention work. Oh, very and good. Not very. I'm not shy at all about the items that I selected because I'm very real about how. People, oh, yeah. Let me just let me just tell you how real Shelly is. She shared a picture. <laughs> Of I don't I'm not going to say it because I don't want to you know blow it but it was a very interesting picture of a very large, uh, uh, male part of the body. And Which part? 
<laughs> it was you can the, say it, Kim. Go it, for it. It was the Go penis. It. it was the penis. Oh, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm doing much better since I started this podcast. Now say, well, I guess we're on the radio. Never mind. Penis is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, penis is good medical term. But this this penis was giant. I mean, just giant. And you were just loving on that penis. I'm gonna mm-hmm. say it. Mm-hmm. I was yes, I was in WeHo, Southern California, and I went into the sex shop. So every time I travel, I go to the sex store to keep up on what's in it, what's going on, what kind of kind of tools, you know, how much, what's the new lube, the latest lube, and. They happened to have this. I, I don't know how tall that. It, it was taller than me. It was a it was huge. that was taller than me, and I just definitely had to take a picture with it. And then I, <laughs> I bought a book called The Little Book of Big Penises. Good. <laughs> and it's uh, pictures from the. Uh, I believe a- these are uh, male porn stars from John Holmes. Oh wow! Group. Yeah. And I'm so happy they left out Ron Jeremy. Thank you. Um, but, you know, I didn't need that experience. <laughs> so, you know, so it's a coffee table book now. That's a great Nothing. title for a book. It is. And yeah. it's a cute, it's a cute book. And it's it's very um interesting. And some you, this book has taught me about boundaries. It's like I, I'm not going. That's just too much for me. That's not enough for me. Hmm. Yeah. And, and the remaining are just right. Yeah. Shelly, I noticed earlier a young human walking through your home. How does that young human, maybe that human wasn't young, and maybe just sort of. Um, is that Tania? That's Tania. She's here with me. Yes, Tania is our data coordinator on the Project Empowerment. So no, she's not a child. No, no, she, she looks really young. I was wondering if you, ha- yeah, if you have children or or young humans living in your home and how they feel about your coffee table book. No. I, I do not have young children in my home. Uh, my niece, who is a senior at UCL- UCLA, I um, FaceTimed her and showed her a couple of photos <laughs> in the book. And I told her, I said, like, we can have a penis a day if you want. You know, I'll just oh, send that's you one hilarious. Day. And so uh, she discovered, looking at several pictures, her, her, um, like her type. And so I sent her a couple of pictures, but I wanted to focus on, on graduating. <laughs> yeah, uh, not the penises. No, but when it comes to children, <laughs> which I'm educating children, I mentioned that earlier. It's like when they were growing up, they received factual, truthful, mm-hmm. realistic sexual health education from me. So it's like, for example, I have a niece and a nephew and my nephew, um, I taught him about condoms very early to where, from the age where, little, you remember the finger cots? Mm-hmm. Yes. What he could fit one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah. I said, you know, if condoms are like shoes, find the one that fits properly and protect you accurately or effectively, efficiently. And that's the one you land on when you get to a place where you want to have sex. But the education was very age appropriate. So that young, it's like, this is a a finger condom. I said, they make 
they make condoms for your penis. But I'm just going to show you this. And we started from there. And with my niece, her only her point of reference was her brother. And she came up to me one day and said, look, I have a penis just like my brother. And I was like, yes, you do. But here's the difference because you're female. Yours is called a clitoris. She's about three or four years old. And then we spelled it together. And then I told her, go tell your mommy what you just learned. <laughs> she went and told my sister what she learned. And then my my sister was like, oh, okay, great. And that was it. Oh, yeah. well, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you answer the questions when they start asking, oh, yeah. asking without giving, you know, a diatribe of fears. Like, oh, but don't you, you know, you know, none of that. Mm-hmm. You need one of these. Go ahead, Dr. Jenny. Show, uh, show, show. My son, literally, I have a six and an eight-year-old and a six-year-old comes and they're so used to Adam and Eve boxes arriving and, and what. <laughs> but my six-year-old comes into the bathroom. I'm, I'm literally like drying my hair for this podcast. And he's like, it's a snow day, so he's home today. And He's like, look, my penis is big. And I said, yes, blood flow is in your penis. The more blood is going to your penis, and that's called an erection. And he's like, cool. (laughs) And he walked away, and I continued to blow dry. But I have so many different sex education things, like this fabulous vulva pillow. They know the anatomy of this. And the funny part is, unbeknownst to me, when they have babysitters, they're like, do you know, look look at my mom's pillow. Oh, (laughs) my God. Babysitters are like, what, what do you do for work? <laughs> All right. We're like, right. <laughs> I, you know, I think, I think for uh, my boys, I want them to know the anatomy of a woman too. Yes. To understand anatomy and gen- generally get yes, speaking. And then if they're interested in a uh, sexual relationship with women, very much so they need to know what a clean vagina looks like and smells like and tastes like. Need to be aware of, if, if they're interested in same-sex relationships, what clean penis, healthy penis looks like, what you can what you can tell what, just by looking. So, yeah. I mean, other areas, but, you know, smell, taste, vision, visual, all of that. And, huh? and yes, normalize it. You know, when I think you brought that vulva pillow out in our first episode and okay. I had more people come to me and say, I had no idea that the vulva was actually what we call our genital. I always thought it was the vagina. I didn't know that either. So Mm -hmm. this is the problem, right? Because we're not being taught this as young children. And and, yeah, there's 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 so much. It's like Mm -hmm. the benefits, Kim, as you're aware, we talk about benefits of having sex. For your body, what what that does, also how it impacts you if you don't have regular mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. And then why is there hair on it? Right, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> why is there hair why, on it? <laughs> what what does the what does the vagina do? What is the uterus? I mean, we stop at vagina. We stop at the entrance, mm-hmm. and we need to go inside the building. Yeah. And talk about all of that and how it functions and what it does. And how does pregnancy occur? And then what is the impact of STIs on your reproductive system for male and female? Mm-hmm. And, and what to do. If you see something that that's, doesn't look quite right and you know it, it doesn't look quite right, 
because you've been educated about what is healthy and what's not. Um, what do you do? What's the next step? You don't sit around and wait. So a lot of, you know, what's happening with HIV in our communities, mostly with men, black men, wait until something's about to fall off or it's falling off before we seek medical treatment. Not a good, no, not good. So there's their fear and stigma, right? Yeah. And lack of good, ed- good education and knowledge about self-care. Yeah. And talking about sex, I mean, when you talk about prevention, part of the reason I talk about sex so early with my age appropriately and yeah. that I'm a fan of it is because if we can talk about sex, then we can talk about how to have safe sex with partner. If you're at a party and you're hooking up or whatever, wherever you are, if you have the ability to talk about sex because it's not a taboo subject, then uh-huh. you have the ability to talk about condoms. You have the ability to talk about, hey, you know what? I do have herpes or I do have um, HIV and um, this is how I know how to manage it. But if we can't talk about sex, then we can't do the self-care you're talking about because it's right. too hard to just put language to it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which like Kim saying the word penis is fabulous. Right, right, right. I mean, she's come a long way. And then I have I'm come a long way. Because we talked about it all, honey. So, you know, I want to get back to this. Um, you know, the point of our conversation today is how to create that new normal when you're dealing with uh, chronic health issues. Um, Shelly, do you have anything that you'd like to add about what, you know, any any great Um, advice about creating that new normal with uh, some of the people that you work with in terms of HIV and, and how I know that I've experienced some conversations that you've had with the women in your group and you're extremely motivating and you allow them to get uncomfortable at their own pace, which I think is really important. But I, I also have known that there is kind of this common ground of be and I and I don't honestly know how many of these women are suffering or or are HIV positive I don't I don't know that but I would imagine that there are a few of them that I know have been on your show regularly Uh, I sense that there's this common thread of uh that fear of abandonment that you mentioned that they just don't feel comfortable going out there, putting themselves out there because of the rejection, which I would imagine is a huge uh, hurdle to get over. I mean, I can I can only speak for myself on my issues of abandonment that have nothing to do with, you know, having some kind of chronic illness. And and it was a very difficult thing to overcome. But when you have something that isn't necessarily going to go away, um, you know, that you have to deal with on, on the daily, how do you right. navigate through that? Well, there's the, uh, we, we talk about emotional wellness, mental health. The, the best I can do for one's personal wellness is to connect yourself with say a psychologist or a counselor to explore fears around sexual health see what kind of profile or record that's playing in your head when it comes to that there's a whole lot of uh, uh, trauma that comes into that especially if if your 
experience has been fear-based. If you haven't um, checked out Shelly's podcast, Dynamic Determined Divas, definitely um, do so because it's really, it's really very, the, the conversations are always very enlightening and, and very entertaining to say the least. And the one, uh, as your producer, right, I'm, I'm listening to every single one, but the, the one that you had a couple, um, podcasts ago where it was really the, the conversation was really, uh, directed around sex. Some of the questions I think that you brought to the table, I felt like you were really trying to pull them out of that comfort zone and get them to not feel like this wasn't something that you, you aren't supposed to talk about. You know, uh, Dr. Jenny and I, our first show was about the big bad narrative of, of sex. And so we all live with this idea of what it's supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. When you have those types of conversations with these women and you're trying to pull something out of them, I found just by listening that there were some people that were like, Oh, I don't, I don't really want to go there. I don't, I don't want to talk about that or anything else. Do you find that this is a pretty common thread among women that are living with a chronic illness that they've just backed off on the conversation altogether, or they find that they don't want to go out and do anything or meet men if they're single Mm -hmm. or anything Mm -hmm. like that? Thank you for that question. Um, so Kim, as you experienced with me, we were talking about parent. I think we were talking about parenthood or I think it was the one before that, before that. Okay. And then I had one diva that had to remove herself from the podcast. Yes. And I tried to make that I'm okay with that because she wasn't ready to it. What it did, it, it, it sparked her, her trauma. Yeah. And before, before she and other women like her met HIV, trauma was the navigator. Trauma was the navigator. So that's what, gotcha. Just their lifestyle and, and whatever circumstances they were in at the time. Yes. And so we have a lot of trauma relative to, um, non-consensual sexual contact and I use non-consensual because that is a very strong word and it's a powerful word and the empowerment of using it to me sends the message that hey if I say no way then it's not going and so rape molestation um, domestic violence rape to understand that rape is rape. It doesn't matter if you're married to the perpetrator, engaged, or their relative. It is what it is, and it's traumatic. And then from that point on, where our trajectory in life has goes in a different direction. So I really impress upon folks when they're ready, really deal with those issues because they've been we compartmentalize and put some things over here. So well, I'm put my rape over here, but, but rape is still in charge. Mm-hmm. So let's deal with that first, and um, try to get back on, back to close as we can to a healthy track. Because change, change is change. Mm-hmm. That changes people. 
but let's get back to who you were, try to get back to who you were before, um, before this unfortunate incident occurred. And then, you know, there are multiple incidences that, that, that um, occur. And some women have been introduced to, like I said before, HIV through a, a monogamous committed relationship. And then you have to think about, well, what is it within me and not blaming women at all that made it okay for me to select this partner? Mm. Flags. We ignore flags. <laughs> all those little red flags. All those. And they're big. They're not little. They're really big. But we seem to make them small and put them to the side. So if, something pops up in your head and said, this just doesn't feel right. That's the voice we need to listen to. Which is hard. You're talking about PTSD. Sometimes yeah. the devil, you know, especially with like incest and molestation as you grow up and that's just part of your world. Yeah. It's so easy to re-perpetuate picking a partner who's going to be domestically violent to you because it's the devil, you know, so this unconscious process of, trying to do it all over again and heal it. But, you know, Shelly, the PTSD piece, I mean, it's so chronic in our society, unfortunately. It's it so is. hard to treat. There's so much treatment treatment resistance to it because drugs don't, you know, medication doesn't always work. I mean, well, one will <laughs> becomes legal. It's a great right. reality. And um, I'm excited for that moment. But uh, it's super difficult. And in, and in it, and it's very lonely. And one of the things I hear in your podcast, which is great, and I wish there was more of this in our society, is community healing, uh -huh. healing in groups. Uh -huh. And I think there's a big, powerful element to that, which is also seemingly missing. Yeah, which yeah. which what Shelley does really well with her podcast. You know, I love oh, that that sense of community that you have in this group. I love that they're willing to share and participate and the need is great there. So I'm, I've, I've gone from a non-interest in emotional wellness healing to an interest also described as like a significant need to talk to a professional psychologist or psychiatrist to help me feel better because depression levels are very high, mm -hmm. very much isolation still occurs. And then the forgetting about ourselves and dumping all of our energy into children and grandchildren and others where we are non-existent per se to help us feel better. When in fact, ignoring ourselves is not the answer. Start yeah. with us first. We're not being selfish and selfish is not a negative term either. I agree at all. Right. You got to put the airplane mask on yourself. You're going to put it on another person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to do this before I can even do this. And then after I'm finished with this, whatever is left within me to give, yeah. I'll give it. Yeah. I'll give it. And then teach that person how to do the same because there's enough. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate both of you in, in this conversation. I, I was I want to wrap it up with I loved how Shelly um, pulled these women who a lot of them, you know, when I listen to them, a lot of them just kind of sit back and they don't do anything. You know, they just kind of listen. And, and when she posed the question, okay, who is your, uh, your fantasy, you know, wh whether it's, yes. 
a celebrity or, or, you know, or some who could be anybody. Who is your fantasy? I want to hear. Ask him. My hall. Yeah. The hall of pass. And, and, and what is the fantasy? And it was so fun because all these women all of a sudden just went, Oh, you know, and they perked right up. And I wonder if, because it was non-reality based, right? It was more something that they're thinking or conjuring up in their their own mind that it actually brought out. I just saw how it brought out this sense of wonder and play and fun and passion. And you just saw some of these women go from not really, you know, getting involved in the communication or the conversation. And then all of a sudden you're going, you know, like, whoa, well, I never thought I would hear that out of her. <laughs> it was really, really cool. And I could sense that it was extremely therapeutic. And mm-hmm. um, I just loved how how you pull that out of these women and and what a great group it is. And, and I encourage anybody to go and, and listen. You can find it uh, anywhere you find your podcast. Is, this, is it the same group every episode or do you have a rotating group? We have our we have our foundational uh, group participants, if you will, but we have new people all new the people time. Yeah. yeah, uh we it's gotten so to the point, Kim. I don't know if you know that some women can't can't even get in because there's too many people. Like there's ten people that are talking, and and what's great about it is it's it's like group therapy. It really is. It's really cool. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, really good. I, I love that they responded to the sex fantasy thing because we have sexual fantasies that we're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if that's going to sound weird or if that's weird. And I can, I always talk about myself. Is I, I want a man who is open to me being on top with a strap on. <laughs> yeah, without, without any of that homophobia stuff coming up, it's like pleasure is pleasure. Yeah. Oh, if I touch you there, you're going to seize up and want to fight because your mind automatically went to gay. I'm not gay. Well, that's not a gay thing. There's no gay sex. There's pleasure. Your body is stimulated and that stimulation is pleasure. If if it's stimulated, you know, in a positive way, that's pleasure, period. We got all these, this, this societal social construct can I say bullshit? I just did in our brain that prevents us from pleasure, accessing pleasure. And um, I think if there's more access to true pleasure, there will be lower incidences of STI transmission. I really do because there's a way to have sex without threatening your health. So I, I have some vibrating cock rings I could share. <laughs> And I have the best lube in the world. I can share. The Love thing it. is that you can either use this these tools for self-pleasuring. Like like one of our ladies said, her fantasy is herself. Maybe in the shower, touching yeah. herself all over in the air. I loved that. I know. I was like, what? Okay, I want to hear how this this is. It was great. It really was. If we're going to go full circle, I think this goes back to what Dr. Jenny was saying at the very beginning of our conversation. Make sure that you find that security within yourself and mm-hmm. and not focus so much on 
the normal sex, but focus a little bit more on the part that you need to. There's Kim, what's normal sex? Yes. <laughs> I know. I keep saying that, and it's not in my mind. I'm. I, I, you know I'm what? Gonna slap my hand right now. Bad girl. Bad girl. No, 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 no. Don't shame yourself. And <laughs> as long as it's, cons- I think normal sex is whatever floats your boat, so long as it's consensual. And and I would drop normal and just say consensual. Yeah. And I think what I meant by normal was the normalcy within your relationship. The what you what if, if we talked about we right we talked about you know how these changes happen when yeah. when you have developed some uh, um, health issue that that is definitely affecting your sex life that you had which in your mind was our thing right but yeah. now you've got to find this new path to go on and well, other ways other ways to access pleasure together because of this this new element in our lives but like That's you it. said you got to get rid of that mental block first yeah, the old way you did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to no. grieve. That's what it is. You got to grieve right. the old way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it might get better after. <laughs> might well, find something chronic, new. When, yeah, because people I find with chronic with chronic illnesses, um, some want to live a better, happier life, and they let go of some of that. Yeah, stuff up and just go at life. A different way yeah and it's oftentimes uh, a better way um and not to communicate that living with a chronic disease is a better way no not at all but i find people just be- they become alive they become alive they stop they stop just living and become alive because now there's this this element in their life in in their lives that has changed the whole um entire way that they view living well I got to stop on that note because I know Dr. Jenny's got to run. And thank you so much, Shelly, for being a part of this. And just want to remind our listeners uh, to get that package of fun from Adam and Eve. Go to adamandeve.com. Use code word modern. Get 50% off almost any one item. Plus those fun 10 free gifts and free shipping. Next time, I think, Shelly, you're on with us again. We're going to talk a little bit about the LGBTQ community. And... um, And that should be a fun combo. So we'll see you all next time. (laughs) 